0: Well hello and welcome to this week's episode of Politics in the Pulpit, a lectionary-based preaching resource designed to ask the provocative questions of how politics could be, appear in our preaching this week. My name is Ali McMillan and I'm a Methodist deacon currently at Methodist Central Hall in Westminster. Uh, the role here at MCHW includes pastoral work for the church as well as preaching and leading worship and helping to run various large events that the church here holds. I also head up our uh, work with uh, the Westminster Food Bank and the Night Shelter, as well as St Vincent's Family Project, which is an ecumenical family-based project here at Methodist Central Hall, Westminster. In my previous role, I was in the Christchurch and Wimborne circuit in Dorset, where I worked to build links between the church and the community, and I worked with people of all ages. I grew up in Brighton, and before coming into ministry, I worked as a secondary and sixth-form school teacher in Oxfordshire, Oxfordshire teaching religious education and ethics. Um, And as part of my training for ministry, I completed an MA in Theology and Transformative Practice. Um, I'm really lucky to live in Pimlico in central London, and I love exploring all that London has got to offer. I'm a member of a religious order, the Methodist Diaconal Order, and I follow a rule of life that brings a sense of rhythm and wholeness to my life. I'm passionate about coming alongside people where they are and journeying with them as they discover God at work in their life. I'm delighted that each week I'm joined by a guest from a different place and space on the pulpit and political landscape. And today I'm really pleased to introduce the Reverend Rachel Parkinson. Rachel has been in full-time ministry for 20 years, prior to which she was a factory inspector with the health and safety executive inspecting workplaces in West Yorkshire. She's currently chair of the wolverhampton and shrewsbury district and from september will also become chair of jackie the joint advisory committee on the ethics of investment Uh, rachel enjoys running cycling uh, long distance walking and fusing glass so a full and busy life Uh, we're really delighted and thank you for joining us today rachel
1: oh it's a pleasure
0: uh, we know that politics in the pulpit can be a bit of a contentious topic, uh, but we also believe that it's essential to the world around us and that that speaks into our churches. Uh, when you hear arguments saying that politics should not form a part of our preaching, how do you respond to that?
1: Well, I don't know what I'd say from the pulpit, really, Ali. I mean, I think the longer that I preach, the more I am less worried about delivering sort of perfect set piece sermons and the more I want to prize being sort of honest and authentic and struggling uh, with what it means to be human in God's world. And so when I open the scriptures, uh, I'm wanting to really do things which people will be thinking about during the week and find relevant things, places where, you know, that will scratch where people itch. And um, and that's going to be political because life is political. I mean, even things that we think of as mainly pastoral issues often have political dimensions um, so i would say though that i strongly believe you know we are a church of contradictory convictions about lots of things mm-hmm. and we know that methodists can have uh, many ideas about how society can move towards the kingdom of heaven and so they can you know they can have different political agendas uh, and follow those that's, that's all fine but i'm so i'm always wary of um abusing the pulpit by treating my own views as though they're gospel. But in that case, I find JPIT really helpful, because my sort of rule of thumb is, if JPIT have said it, then I can say it in the pulpit, which is great, because <laughs> it you know allows me to uh, uh, to explore issues um, that, that may be contentious. But um, I find that really helpful. So thank you for that.
0: Well, it's always good to have a plug for JPIT, and uh, it's good that we have that benchmarking there to just guide us a bit as well. Um, so from your context, what would you want us to hear as key justice issues um, or political events? Well, I'm uh, still moved by the fact that I went
1: down on Friday to the big one, the uh, climate demonstrations, climate justice demonstrations in London. Um, I was there behind the We Are Methodists" banner uh, that recognised there was a large faith contingent. We met at the um, service at St John's Waterloo, which was called No Faith in Fossil Fuels. And uh, but joining people, I mean, the intersectionality of the sort of crowd of people that were there, you know, sort of scientists and doctors and vegans and uh, people who wanted to save Wales as part, you know, I mean, just a, a glorious diversity of, of humanity, really, who obviously got together over the full four days. Um, I'm really interested that Extinction Rebell- Rebellion, who are were, who were heading it up, have, have changed their tactics so that they have moved away from disruptive protests to um, trying to get maximum involvement and large scale numbers. And, um, I think that makes it easier sometimes for church people to join in. Mm -hmm. At the same time, I note that despite the fact there were many thousands of people who were in London over the weekend, the impact that's made in terms of the media has really been very small compared to if somebody had glued themselves to something or sprayed orange paint all over Big, Big Ben or something like that, you know. Um, and, um, so I, I think there are those those real issues about how can we make a maximum impact. And if we're going to have, uh, rely on wide scale, scale involvement, then we lots of people have got to get involved. And um, I think that's that's people in the churches too.
0: Well, wonderful to hear uh, that you were there and what's going on. And As you say, working with that broad range of people um, and perhaps that thing about how we protest might be picked up in our readings a bit later on. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, Well, each week I ask my JPIC colleagues for a little roundup of their expertise and what they think we might want to be keeping an eye on in the world this week. Uh, And some of their suggestions uh, have been uh, the ongoing violence in Khartoum, the capital of Sudan, uh, with the British embassy staff having been evacuated and looking to evacuate other British citizens from Sudan. Uh, new NHS figures are revealing that ambulance crews are spending 1.8 million hours a year dealing with patients with mental health problems, with 1.2 million people waiting to receive care and treatment from NHS community mental health services. Uh, so real um, impact that that's having on the NHS and also of course on those individuals. And then, as you've just mentioned, the big one: Extinction Rebellion climate justice protest that's been going on since Friday until Monday this week. And uh, as you've said, several organisations involved in that protest, including lots of different Christian groups. Uh, and just to note that on uh, Friday, the 28th of April is International Workers' Memorial Day. Um, so that's happening this week. Uh, so those are some of the uh, things going on in the world we might want to have a think about. Um, and we're still um, in the season of Easter, of course, um, in our lectionary seasons. And our lectionary passages for this Sunday, the 30th of April, are Psalm 23, Acts 2: 42 to 47, 1 Peter 2: 19 to 25, and John 10. 1 to 10. So uh, lots to get our teeth into. So with our metaphorical newspapers open in one hand, uh, let's open our Bibles. And uh, Rachel, I wonder if there's a particular passage or particular theme or question uh, that you'd like to start with for this week.
1: Well, I think, Ali, just to to go back briefly to what you were saying about the fact that International Workers Memorial Day oh, yeah, yeah. is on, yeah. on Friday. And uh, as you said in my introduction, I, I worked in the field of health and safety for, for 17 years. So this is something that's really dear to my to my heart. Yeah. And, um, I, I was very moved. I was at a circuit meeting a few weeks ago. And um, at the end of it, somebody got a text to say that uh, a member of a family that had come in for baptism, had been involved in an industrial accident it's the father of that family that had four children and uh, we all stopped and and prayed for that family and um then the following day that we we heard that he died from his his injuries and I've always had this very deep-seated belief that uh, when people go out to to work you know at the beginning of a shift uh they they should come home safe and sound at the end of it and too often that that doesn't happen um and um if you if you Think, wonder whether that uh, belongs in the pulpit. Uh, John Wesley himself actually addresses it in his sermon on the use of money. He says very famously, you know, we should gain all we can. But he qualifies that by saying, uh, but we shouldn't do things, uh, labour which uh, impacts our health uh, and safety adversely. So, you know, we shouldn't do too hard labour, shouldn't do work which involves arsenic or lead. And he even talks about um, not sort of sitting writing too long or sitting still too long. I wonder what we'd make of our lives now they're on Zoom and answering all the emails. Uh, And uh, Wesley says, you know, if you're doing one of these things, then you should... You should just swap it for something else, and I have to say, I I think I don't know what the job market was like in Wesley's day, but it does make me think that's quite a short-sighted view because so many people, so many of us, um, are are trapped in less than ideal working circumstances. You've just talked about the paramedics, uh, and um, you know so many people in emergency support services now that are cut to the bone having to do double shifts and and cover and, and work with ridiculous stresses, really, that then feeds into a vicious cycle of more and more people being off and so on. And um, we don't really focus on this much in our worship. I think maybe that's because largely we have retired people now, I don't know, but we This is really something that we can think about in our prayer and worship, because these working conditions are down to political decisions. You know, this is the way um, that society chooses to organise things. So uh, just a a shout out, really, for the fact that I think International Workers Memorial Day um, can prompt us to think about justice issues in the in the world of work. So that would be my, my first point, really.
0: Wow, that's really helpful. I have to confess, I had never even heard of Workers' Memorial Day, so I certainly will pick that up in in our worship on Sunday. So thank you for highlighting that and the importance of it. Uh, so uh, just uh, holding that and not forgetting it, but holding on to it. But I wonder if there was any uh, themes or questions from the um, different passages for today this week that you'd like to pick up on. Sure.
1: Um, I think they sort of fall into uh, two categories, really. I as as I looked at it, we'll all look at them differently. But uh, I think the Acts passage stands alone. And obviously, in this season of Eastertide, we're working our way, you know, through the story of the early church. And uh, I always enjoy that because it's always both interesting and inspirational. So I think the Acts um, we can have a look at. And then I think the the other readings uh, are obviously linked together by this sort of shepherding theme. So um, well, I can maybe come to, to those in a while. But shall we start with Acts? Yeah, let's
0: start there. That sounds good to me. Yeah,
1: and um I think when you look at that passage, uh, the the bit that jumps out of you when you're coming at it with political lenses, thing about um, the disciples sort of selling all they have and sharing the proceeds. So uh, this idea that uh, you know there was a sort of socialist ideal in the uh, early church, and of course, if we skip forward a few chapters, we get uh, Ananias and Sapphira who sell some land and don't declare all the proceeds and yeah. uh, dropped dead on the spot and it says great fear uh took hold of everybody in the church which I think is is that quite the sort of you know um uh sort of reaction we were wanting that everybody was was fearful but you know it's it's obviously a big thing mm. um and looking around this uh you can see that people have been very interested in whether this is a sort of um, a description of an ideal church. You know, was it really like that? Mm-hmm. Um, and people, I think, probably bring their their own views and readings into that as they try to argue one way or another. Um, it's obviously clear that if it did happen like that in the first fit of enthusiasm, it, it didn't last very long. And no. we can see other places where, for instance, in the Corinthian church, some there's obviously inequalities because paul's talking about them bringing some people bring a lot of food to the lord's supper and some don't bring much and then they eat their own so some go hungry and some don't so there's that's there's that whole thing about how much was this true Um, but i don't think we ought to get sort of hung up on that because clearly the idea was that in this new community in the body of christ that division which you get when you get inequality of wealth should be addressed and should be torn down. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's, as a preacher, something I would be wanting to particularly explore. Um, and uh, I, I've been thinking a lot recently, actually, about how the cost of living crisis has really brought home to me. And it was, it's been been an issue, obviously, for a very long time, but been getting worse mm-hmm. about the fact that we have such different experiences of life in the UK, because yeah. there's such growing inequality, and I sit here in my mansion, Wolverhampton, and um, you know, in this district, we have some of the most deprived communities in the UK, sitting cheek by jowl alongside more affluent areas. Yeah. Um, but you know, a stone's throw from here, there are people who are, are, are just trapped in cycles of poverty. And I've been feeling more and more discomforted by uh, not only um, what that means for their life and the possibility of living abundantly, but also for me in terms of my relationship with them, because we're just not sharing the same experience. So I would want to bring um, all of that discomfort and unease about the dis-ease in our society into this um, looking at why was it that these first christians as well as singing hymns and um, sharing bread and so on why was it that they decided that what they needed to do was was to pull what they had and what can that say to us today about the sort of communities we want to we want to make
0: yeah, I think that's really helpful. And that highlighting between the divisions between uh, those who have enough and those who don't, and it uh, just makes me think of the Trussell Trust current campaign around making sure that people have can afford the essentials when it comes to universal credit. And I think highlighting um, you know, some good work that's going on around this, but, but that challenge to us as well as questions about how we are um, living with or not uh, challenging some of those, uh, those complete um, differences in wealth that people have. That's yeah, really helpful. Um, so, do, is that enough on the Acts passage? I don't know if there's anything I, else in there. Yeah, We've i have got I, probably quite a lot to say. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I know, you'll you have to shut me up. I'm sorry. I could could not me. at all. <laughs> I, I think I think as well as looking at that, it'd be really good for churches to uh, be able to look at the overall description of how that generous uh, and equal uh, and uh, praising church yeah. um, they had the goodwill of all people. It says. Yeah. and also god added to their number so yeah. again how can we be be generous and and so on um i think in terms of ways to mark this sunday wouldn't it be a great sunday to have a love feast wouldn't it be yeah. great if you came together and you prepared food together yeah. and part of a love feast is always um having a uh, a collection of, of money or, or other goods to to share so that yeah. would be really good fits really well with methodist way of life this week yeah. um supernumerary minister in our district, Andrew Roberts. His holy habits is is majorly based on this passage. There's lots of stuff there, and uh, I I don't want to move on without just mentioning. Um, I'm I'm so um, enthused and proud of the Wolverhampton circuit, um, who themselves, as I've said, there's there's a lot of deprivation in the area they serve, but they've got this fund, uh, benevolent fund where uh, if they hear of another part of the connection that is in need this circuit out of their need because the story they 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 link it with the story of the widow of Sarephath who gave Elijah who she didn't have much but she gave and, and God kept on providing um they they help out so for instance in um the Methodist church in in Withenshaw Uh, where they were making lots and lots of toasted sandwiches for families, but they could only make so many at a time because they'd only got, you know, sort of a toasty maker that made two. Uh, Wolverhampton Circuit bought them a big sandwich toasted maker that could make sort of four times as many. And just in this last week, when they heard that the food bank in Stoke had been broken into at Swan Bank, Mm -hmm. um, they sent £200 to help the food bank get on their feet. And you know, in terms, again, of this pooling and sharing... Mm -hmm. Isn't that a fantastic example wonderful. of connectionalism?
0: Really, really I, good idea. Absolutely. Is. I mean, that is a wonderful testimony to how we can support yeah. one another in Christ. And as you say, an excellent um, example of uh, that very Methodist phrase of connectionalism and how we uh, work uh, together as churches and circuits. So that's, that's really wonderful to hear. Um, so, this the second kind of theme that comes out of the other passages you're talking about shepherding and um, how that might uh, be a theme for us. So, I wonder if you want to. Uh, move
1: us on to that. Okay, uh, I think the first thing that I'd uh, uh, I'd want to say is that um, shepherds aren't mythical or romantic characters. You know, people make their living by looking after sheep. Um, and in the Wolverhampton and Shrewsbury district, we have uh, on the east side the the urban conurbation, and on the west side we go all down the border with Wales and over Wales. And there's lots and lots. Of sheep farming, so I think part of doing justice to um, these passages and uh, to to the world around us is to uh, to be based in the reality of uh, a rural life and shepherding. Um, if you have anybody who's involved in looking after sheep in your congregation, or you've got a link with them, you could actually talk to them about um, the rural issues that are around at, at the moment. Um, um, we have uh, we support the Borderlands Rural Chaplaincy, so very, very aware of rural isolation and lack of services, public transport services and shops and schools and so on and so forth. All the pressures affecting farming, the pressures affecting them being on the front uh, line of uh, climate change in terms of, experiencing erratic weather, but also being under pressure to be productive, but also to rewild. And, and, you know, that's a big, big issue when it comes to, to sheep farming. So I, I think the first thing would be to do the reality check that this, this is something that people do do now and they have issues of justice that affect their, their communities. Um, if you haven't got a farmer to hand, I might recommend uh, a wonderful book by James Rebanks called The Shepherd's Life. Um, which is about the Lake District, but again looks at um, a, a whole range of socio economic factors as well as how you look after sheep. So that's, I think, the first thing I'd I'd say is people look after sheep now, and the rest just is some peace issues. So remember the
0: shepherd. Really <laughs> helpful for those of us who are in a very urban context to just yeah. be reminded of that. So yeah, absolutely.
1: sure. Um, and then uh, I struggled a little bit more with these passages. Uh, I have to say we've got the 23rd Psalm this week and I think um, over the years I've been preaching a long time I've often struggled when 23rd Psalm has come up in the lectionary because it's so familiar Mm -hmm. and um, I think the first thing a preacher needs to recognize is that if you use the 23rd Psalm in worship a whole lot of people are going to be taken um, to the funeral of somebody they've loved or or some you know that will be a connect I think it's a really Mm -hmm. good idea to acknowledge that Um, so that people can say yeah, and then and then we can move past it. Um, to look at other lenses through which we can look at it. Um, and an idea that I haven't really developed and I'd never thought of before is as I read it last night, maybe because recently I've been to a theatre production of um The Beekeeper of Aleppo. Have you read that? No, um, I haven't, but yeah. I'd really, really recommend it. it charts the the journey of a couple who have lost their their infant son um, in Aleppo in the uh, in the war in Syria and how they make their way through Europe and uh, eventually to the UK. And it charts their journey. And as I read the 23rd Psalm and I was thinking about, you know, lying down in green pastures and by still waters and also then walking through deep valleys, it just came into my mind about their their journey so much of that was in the valley of the shadow of death but sometimes just the kindness of strangers or particular small organizations they just did that work which opened up just a place of rest and sanctuary yeah. so um i i got quite excited about that sadly for all sorts of reasons i'm not i'm not preaching on lecture on sunday but another time mm-hmm. i uh, i think i would like to do that to look at the 23rd psalm and look at those who are making journeys through different landscapes, and look at how, as followers of Jesus, we can accompany through deep valleys, and how we can provide those places of rest
0: and refreshment. So that's, I think, how I would, how I'd look at the psalm. Mm, Yeah, really helpful. I was, when I was um, doing my reading around it, I was um, struck by that, where it talks about goodness and love will follow me. That actually the word there could be translated as pursue, so that even as you're going through these dark valleys, that goodness pursues you through them. I think that ties in with what you're talking about, how we can offer um, places of rest and and sanctuary to people um, when they're going through difficult times. So that reminder that God pursues us with His goodness and joy. Yeah, and that's really helpful. Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: Sure. Um... And then I looked at the reading from the first letter of Peter, uh, and I found this a really difficult passage. Um, The first thing that I I did was I've got into the habit of going to Syncing the Faith Plus and looking at the lectionary readings from there. So you just click on the reading and so you get the text the verse-to-verse of of what's in the lectionary. And there's a big bear trap if anybody does that. So I would just warn you, make sure you open the Bible and uh, and read what surrounds it, and particularly verse 18, which the lectionary um, leaves out, because this begins, slaves accept the authority of your masters with all deference, not only those who are kind and gentle, but also those who are harsh. Now, if you start at verse 19, you don't get that first verse. And I think we can see probably why it's been left out. I think it's, uh, for me, it would be really important to recognise that this passage has been massively abused, uh, particularly by white slave owning communities in order to tell primarily black slaves that, you've just got to knuckle down because we're in charge and that's ordained by God. And you've not only got to knuckle down if we're nice and kind to you, but even if you've got a harsh and cruel master, yeah, that's, that's just your lot. Um, that is a, just a terrible legacy. and We are, you know, inextricably linked in, in that. Uh, and so I, you know, I'd be wanting to say that first, I think.
0: That acknowledgement of how this text has been used, I think it's really important, isn't it? Yeah.
1: yeah um so then i was looking at it some more and it's a, a passage which is looking at saying that you know if you if you do something wrong and you suffer for it well that's just you know that's just sort of justice but if you um you are uh you suffer when you're you're doing right well that's um god will acknowledge that because that's that's following in the way of of christ who did no wrong, but who refused to just tolerate sin and injustice. And, and so um, went to his death uh, and suffered the cruel and unusual punishment of, of crucifixion. Um, and I guess maybe because I was thinking of the, the big one and as we said, ways of, of protesting. Um, I, I, And because of the background of verse 18, I was reminded of some stories from the civil rights movement and um, a particular hero that I have that I I think is very little known. So I'd like to take this opportunity to (laughs) introduce him, really. I came to know him because one day um, my youngest son, when he was at high school and he, he wasn't going to church, and to be honest, he was often trying to put as much clear water between himself and the Methodist Church as, as possible. Um, came home uh, having had a history lesson and saying, you know, Mom, I learned about this really amazing guy today, and he was a Methodist. <laughs> and it took quite a while to work out who this was, but it's James yeah. Lawson, who's a minister in the United Methodist Church. He's still alive, he's 95 now. Um, but uh, he was a missionary in India. Um, in Nagpur and studying the ways of nonviolent resistance and looking at the way Gandhi um, had worked. And um, then he heard about the civil rights movement back where you know he, he'd grown up. So he went home. Um, he went and saw Martin Luther King Jr. who said, um, go south. He went to Nashville and he spent quite a long time um, teaching white and black students, college students together, Um, how to uh, suffer abuse, verbal and physical abuse, and not fight back. And then that led to them together uh, making the protests where white and black students sat at lunch counters in places like Woolworths, which were segregated, and sat there. And there were amazing photographs, terrible photographs, of the, the students sitting there very calmly and baying, mob behind them sort of pouring ketchup and mustard and sugar and anything they can find on their heads um and but that work that work of non-violent resistance of course moved that society um towards desegregation laws yes. so i just had that story in my head and it seemed to link up with one peter the way it's been abused the, the way we could um see it in that context and also looking at at protest t- today, yeah. um, I heard something on the radio, uh, which again was linked to the big one, uh, pointing out that in uh, Parliament Square, where the protests were, you've got one of the pankhursts, um the suffragette statue, yeah. and that um, you know, hundred years ago, uh, those women would have been seen effectively as sort of terrorists. They yeah. they would have been they were imprisoned. And just the question about um, the way that as a society we are um, treating climate activists who are involved in nonviolent but disruptive action, as indeed the suffragettes were, just that question of, um, so will there be monuments to them in a hundred years? You know, how will our views change? Uh, I'm, I don't know <laughs> whether I don't know whether I get that to a stage where I could present it from a pulpit. Uh, right because I, th- I think there's so much to it it's, and there's quite a lot that is controversial and would need thinking through but I think for any preacher you know having that in the back of your mind it's it's something I would wrestle with mm-hmm. uh, in the rich mix of, of scriptures we've got this week.
0: Yeah and that perhaps that question about what what would you you know what would you um, protest in that way about what are the things that would um, make you want to, to to you know kind of sit and protest or stand and protest or or, or however you're going to go about it, what are the issues that for you would create that reaction? I think it's a helpful question perhaps to pose to congregations without um, perhaps putting them in a place where they feel uncomfortable, although maybe we might want to make congregations uncomfortable sometimes. That's part, part of our job, yeah. discomforting the comfortable. Absolutely. <laughs> a wonderful phrase. Um, any any other things from from that passage, or I don't know if you wanted to touch on the gospel at all? Um, I know that we've had a really rich conversation um, from those other passages, but
1: yeah, I I, I of course read the gospel. Um, I uh, <laughs> to help me in this task, I uh, used a, a wonderful um, Bible from CAFOD that I was given uh, at a Jpit conference, mm. and it has. Uh, texts which have anything to do with uh, peace and justice highlighted in orange uh i noted that the gospel didn't have any highlighting so it's <laughs> my challenge to listeners to this podcast uh to find that that angle i found the gospel great good news about jesus coming as as the good shepherd and as hearing uh the shepherd's voice and, and following and the abundance of life that 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 brings. So overall, as a picture of of the kingdom. Um, but I uh, yeah I, I couldn't find a, a hook really to to talk about in this podcast particularly.
0: Well, and that's a good challenge to offer to to the listeners, isn't it? To find find that hook or to uh, perhaps, as you say, link it in with that shepherding and what does it mean to be a good shepherd and perhaps offering that um, example of of standing up where we need to stand up for. Well, uh, Rachel, uh, thank you so much for coming on uh, and sharing your wisdom and your reflections with us today. Um, And thanks to uh, everybody else for joining us and for uh, listening in uh, to ask that question of how uh, or whether we ought to be preaching politics in the pulpit this week. Uh, If you enjoyed this episode of Politics in the Pulpit, please leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcast and share this episode with your friends. Uh, We have uh, some online spaces uh, where you can engage with us further and have some discussion about faith and politics. You can find that on Twitter uh, at pulpit underscore politics, that's at pulpit underscore politics, bit of a tongue twister, Uh, or you can use the hashtag politics in the pulpit. Uh, We also have a Facebook group where you can um, access um, various different conversations and engage with people through the Joint Public Issues Teams Facebook page, that's jpit.com, uh, dot uk. That's J-P-I-T dot UK. Um, And the question for this week is about how can you uh, engage in non-violent protests, what are the things that are going to really stir in you uh, to engage in that protest uh, this week or, or this month. So again, our huge thanks to, to Rachel for joining us and sharing uh, such wonderful wisdom with us. And let's uh, go out both into our politics and to our pulpits with a blessing uh, this week. So may you be anointed with God's spirit as you bring good news to the poor, proclaim release to the captives and help people to see the world truthfully and let the oppressed go free. Amen. Amen. And congratulations on hosting your first politics in the uh, uh,
1: pulpit podcast, Ali.
0: Oh, thank you so much. It's a bit nerve wracking, but I think we got it was a good conversation. Thank you.